0: Welcome to the July 2020 edition of the CNS Journal Club podcast. This is Dr. Vega, the moderator. You know, the field of vascular neurosurgery has been enriched by significant advances over the recent years, and today we're excited to be discussing one of these advancements via the paper entitled, Treatment of Acutely Ruptured Cerebral Aneurysms with the Woven EndoBridge Device Experience Post-FDA Approval in the Neurosurgery Journal. Please have your pass. Uh, Jabor, the senior author from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia, and as guest faculty we're very fortunate to have two, uh, both from the University of Buffalo, Dr. Siddiqui and Dr. uh, So, as well as our CNS resident fellow, Dr. Dasani, who will be discussing the paper and asking questions. I would like uh, first for Dr. Jabor to just give us a quick summary of the paper and of course your experience with the web device, which was uh, FDA approved in uh, December 31st, 2018.
1: Uh, thank you for having me. Um, in this paper, we looked at ruptured aneurysms that were treated with the web device. Uh, it was an early experience, uh, as we mentioned, post-FDA approved, uh, because recently the, the web device was FDA approved in the U.S. Uh, they've been using it for much longer in, in Europe, but this was a U.S. experience uh, with early results. So we looked at uh, uh, 11 aneurysms in nine patients uh, with subarachnoid hemorrhage that we treated with the web device. Uh, in this series, uh, there was no acute re-rupture, which is usually in ruptured aneurysms. Uh, this is a very important point with whatever device you're using or, or, or method you're using to treat the aneurysm. The main goal is protect from an early re-rupture. Uh, and then after that, at six months, you know, it depends on the, how the patient presented and uh, the neurological status and the Hunt and Hess grade. Um, after you get them through this initial period uh, with no re-rupture, at that time, either the result would be durable and you're fine with that, or uh, at that time, at six months, you would uh, treat them with another uh, uh, method. In one and in this case, you would turn the case into an elective procedure, as compared to treating the patient acutely. Uh, so uh, we have uh, a follow-up on uh, four of the patients, uh, angiographic follow-up showing uh, in three of them 100% occlusion. In one of them, the patient got clipped, but this was for a remnant, uh, a residual that we knew about. It wasn't for a recurrence. It was for residual. At that time, when the patient presented, the patient wasn't uh, a candidate for a clipping or, or uh, another uh, uh, way of treating the patient. Uh, and uh, we the patient was clipped at six months with, you know, electively planned uh, delayed treatment. Uh, those patients, uh, were all uh, mainly grades 3, 4, and 5, so high-grade subarachnoid hemorrhage. And uh, the aneurysms were distributed into uh, basilar, ACOM, PICA, MCA, carotid ophthalmic, PCOM, and uh, VB junction. We had one uh, rupture by dislodgement of the web device. Uh, We treated the patient with a deconstructive procedure of the parent vessel, and the patient did well. The deficit was just a partial six nerve palsy. Uh, We definitely need, uh, you know, more follow-up, and we're in the process of uh, writing a a paper with more follow-up and more patients. But this is, as I said, was an early result paper on a small number of patients. So the most important thing in, in, in this uh, paper was that, you know, there was no acute rupture.
0: Mm. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, you know, I, I had two quick little uh, questions, and one is, you know, how easy is it to um, use a device? And number two, what about the status for some of the people that, you know, are familiar with this technique about anticoagulation?
1: Yeah. So, uh, how you know, as any new device it it has a learning curve, and uh, this device uh, uh, has a learning curve too uh, It depends on the aneurys- the location of the aneurysm and the shape and the architecture of the aneurysm uh, Some of the deployments can be a little bit tricky, but uh, in general it's a straightforward uh, uh, deployment as long as you uh, you know follow all the recommendations on. Sizing mainly, because sizing is very important. And uh, another challenging part is, as you know, here in the US, we we don't have the small microcatheter, the 17. We don't have the web that goes into 17 microcatheter. The smallest we have is the 21, so 21, 27, and uh, 33. And uh, in those cases, um, some of the aneurysms can be challenging because you're in your uh, catheterizing the aneurysm with a relatively large micro uh, As for anticoagulation, uh, it, it, it's exactly like coiling. Uh, usually with the coiling ruptured aneurysms, we would anticoagulate unless uh, there is a large intraparenchymal hemorrhage or a hemorrhage, a ventriculostomy-related hemorrhage. Uh, so in those cases, as soon as the web is deployed, it's like as soon as the first Coil is, is deployed protecting the dome. We would uh, give a bolus of happening.
0: Very good. Uh, thank you so much for that introduction. You know, I'd like to ask Dr. Siddiqui to see if he has any questions or insight from his own experience.
2: So, uh, well, thank you. Um, uh, I was, I was reading this. And the first question I got to ask is, you know, you, you, uh, you submitted this as sort of early evidence and we certainly do that but have you had the ability to follow up on the remainders? so you seem to have about a seventy five percent occlusion rate for the four that you did. do you have more now that you could sort of share with us as to oh yeah we have
1: uh, we have more we have uh, better uh, m- more follow- up we have uh, uh, occlusion rate close to the eighty percent. Uh, adequate occlusion, not 100% occlusion. As you know, uh, this was classified in the initial web paper, adequate occlusion is uh, 100% occlusion, and the analyzums that have a small, uh, tiny neck. So uh, as I said, we're in the process of, of writing a, a, another manuscript. Uh, I follow see. up on that.
2: And then this, the second was this, this one complication where uh, you had a rupture yeah so because that is one of the concerns people have yeah um about you know they okay. happen with oil too but this is just it's a bigger device so so take us through that
1: yeah so this was a pica aneurysm with two lobes where one of the lobes was was treated with a, a web device successfully the other lobe was a small lobe and i had the part of the web herniating into the parent vessel around 30%, which is, uh, in my practice, is acceptable. Um, so uh, the case is actually one of the cases that's presented in the paper with the, with the imaging and uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, what happened is, and I have it in a movie, uh, the web device got dislodged. Uh, as soon as we stepped to do the run, when I stepped on the pedal to do the run, the web was still there. After I injected uh, the contrast, the web flew and lodged in the VB junction. And then the aneurysm ruptured. So it wasn't a re-rupture, it was the web that got dislodged uh, and the aneurysm ruptured from the injection. Wow. Looking back-
2: I see what you're saying. So it was the increased resistance to outflow which caused the rupture.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, looking back i think it was a sizing judgment mistake from my part
2: so that brings me uh into another question is i i read your sort of uh, uh averaging out of the diameter and the the length of the dome and then plus one minus one uh, yes. a, does that serve you in all places, or is there value of experience so that your sizing is evolving?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we know that in, in, in the web cases, sizing is really, really important. Now, this plus one, uh, uh, minus one, uh, so just to explain for everyone who's listening, so uh, taking the maximum width of the aneurysm and adding one millimeter, and then because we want the aneurysm to be oversized. We want the web to be oversized. At that time, the web will be elongated more. That's why we need to minus to do a minus one on the length of the web. Uh, this is, in general, the rule. But again, after you start doing more and more cases, you realize that it's case by case. And in some aneurysms, for example, uh, we talked in the paper about corking the neck. So when you have a large aneurysm and you have an neck that you need to cork it, in, in those cases, uh, you can even, you know, have, uh, uh, add more than one millimeter on the width of the web uh, because all you need to do, regardless of the neck to dome size, all you need to do is cloak the neck and be really have a good seal at the neck. At that time, you can, uh, it doesn't matter, you can even shorten even more than one, two, three millimeters uh, as long as you have a good seal at the neck. So uh, in general, it depends on how much you're increasing in size, you would retract from the uh, depth of the, of the web uh, size. And uh, in some cases, all you need is just exactly in really small cases and shallow aneurysms, all you need is just a, a web that fits there, and you don't need to do the extra measurements, plus and minus that we said. So it's case by case.
2: And one other quick question uh, before I uh, drop off here is um, what about antiplatelets for elective cases? So, you know, this protrusion phenomenon you're describing, and you actually use stent to, you know, keep things open as well. Uh, ruptures is a different matter, um, but for unruptured, is your practice the same?
1: Yeah, so for unruptured, uh, as you remember, in the web trial, we had to put the patient on dual antiplatelet therapy. And then uh, this is to keep our option open to stent the patient. After the procedure, if a web is placed and we didn't need a stent, at that time we would stop them. Uh, in my practice, in unruptured aneurysm, what I've been doing is just starting uh, uh, seven days in advance the patient on a, on a full aspirant. And if I need to stent the patient, uh, for salvage during the procedure, at that time, I'm giving a bolus of aggrastat and then loading uh, the patient in the NG2. Uh, that's what I've been doing for unruptured aneurysms.
0: I see. I see. I see. Thank you. Yeah, very good, Dr. So, uh, Do you have any questions?
3: Yes. Uh, thanks, Dr. Zhibor. I really enjoyed reading your paper. Uh, we certainly had some uh, web experience in Buffalo as well for ruptured and unruptured aneurysms. I'm curious to see uh, at what point in, in your learning curve uh, using the web device did you start to uh, use the web device in ruptured aneurysms? And as well, uh, for the audience, maybe um, the web is FDA approved for a certain location of, of, uh, of aneurysms, particularly in the basilar apex, um, ACOM, uh, MCA bifurcation, and ICA terminus. Uh, But uh, you also use them in um, more challenging locations in the PICA, vertebral-basal Junction, PCOM, and Ophthalmic. So at what point in your learning curve did you approach uh, um, off-label locations as well?
1: Yes, uh, thank you. So, um, again, uh, I mean, there is a learning curve. And uh, definitely, I didn't uh, start doing my first cases with off-label or ruptured. I had to really uh, be comfortable with, with the web device. So that's why uh, this came in later on in the practice, where we did a bunch of uh, unruptured aneurysms with the web device, where we figured out the nuts and the bolts and, and all the details. This is when we started uh, doing off-label and ruptured aneurysms. And those ruptured aneurysms, in general, were cases where we really, uh, at the beginning, we needed uh, a device in cases where uh, the patients weren't uh, a candidate for a clipping, uh, and in cases where we didn't want to put the patient on dual entablated therapy and uh, do a stent-assisted coiling. Uh, The web device in those cases is interesting, because those are ruptured aneurysms, and you don't have to put the patient on dual entablated therapy. So it's very important to first start your cases with unruptured. Before uh, you know going into ruptured and uh, and off-label use of, of the device.
3: Uh, exactly. I mean, we had a similar experience in, in doing an unruptured aneurysms first. Um, yeah. So yeah, we we certainly agree. Um, and then uh, reading your paper, uh, similar to our experience, some of the majority of the aneurysms don't occlude immediately. So you you still see contrast cases within, within the aneurysm. Um, after web deployment, um, I wasn't sure for the paper about uh, if any of the patients uh, encountered um, uh, symptomatic basal spasm or DCI. Uh, what has been your approach uh, in, in that situation, uh, in, including whether you would do induced hypertension or w- yeah. would your management of DCI change with a with a web in place as opposed to a an um, uh, uh, actual true occlusion of the aneurysm? That's
1: a very important. Uh Point you're raising, it's like also sometimes uh, erupted aneurysms that we treat with a with a single uh, flow diverter without any coiling. Uh, when do we have really a secured aneurysm and we are comfortable bringing the, the blood pressure up and treating vasospasm? Uh, well, uh, it's still too early, and those are only uh, you know few patients. But uh, we had uh, two cases where uh, we had to really uh, treat the patient for spasm. And uh, we did that uh, assuming that the aneurysm is uh, protected. Uh, And actually, we did an angiogram because the patient had spasm, and the angiogram showed that the aneurysm was completely uh, occluded, and then we were able to really bring the blood pressure up and treat the patient for spasm. But this is something really to always keep in mind, as you said, because in uh, some of those cases, the protection is not uh, immediate. Now, uh, as an early result, once we deployed the web, uh, we had uh,
0: um,
1: uh, we used the O'Kelly scale, and we had uh, some aneurysms where we had uh, stasis just into the arterial phase, uh, some of them in the capillary. But the majority, uh, four of them, actually not the majority, we had stasis until the uh, venous phase. We had two cases, two aneurysms that were completely occluded, 100% occlusion, we didn't see any contrast in the aneurysm acutely as soon as we deployed the web. So if you want to take overall, uh, between complete occlusion and stasis in the venous phase, we had a total of six patients that showed that. Uh, so as I said, like flow diversion, you don't have a result right away.
3: Thanks. that's all
0: the questions I had. Uh, thank you so much for that interesting discussion. So, uh, Dr. Dasani, uh, do you have any questions uh, that pertain to the paper?
4: Thank you. Hi, Dr. Jabur I have a, a couple of questions. The first, in case you plan to put a stent, uh, do you plan preemptively to put a stent with a second microcatheter across the aneurysm in the parent vessel, or do you make a game-time decision and Wire across after you realize that the web might be herniating, and causing impingement of the parent vessel. How do you manage that situation?
1: Yeah, in general, in the uh, and this is uh, in our experience with web, not not the ruptured, uh, but in general, uh, we haven't had to just uh, preventively place uh, place a microcatheter, and uh, from what I remember, in like four or five cases. Uh, Again, not in this paper, in our, all, all our series. We have now more than 80 web cases. Uh, it wasn't a problem to cross uh, the area with a microcaster and microwire and deploy a stand. So we just do it in case we realize that the uh, web is impinging.
4: And how much uh, parent vessel narrowing would you consider acceptable before you would consider? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and again, there's, we're all biased, and there's n- nothing scientific behind that. But in my practice, I would tolerate up to 30% uh, vessels, uh, uh, vessel in, uh, narrowing uh, from the web. In those cases, I always keep the patient on, uh, on a full aspirant for at least three months when I have 30%. Uh, if I have more than 30% and still didn't deploy the web, uh, I can uh, do a balloon-assisted web deployment Uh, Mm -hmm. Knowing that once you deploy the web, if you do a balloon angioplasty in general, this won't change in anything. You can deform the web. Then once you deflate the balloon, the web's going to go back to where it was. So if you didn't uh, deploy the web yet, detach the web yet, at that time, you can do some maneuvers of balloon-assisted web deployment, where the balloon would change the direction how the web is is being deployed uh, in the aneurysm. And then you can minimize the uh, vessel compromise. Uh, so, in general, I would say, you know,
4: 30%. And when you do choose to use a stent, what's your go-to stent? Do you use a Neuroform Atlas or so, Elvis site? So, so what's I preference?
1: Yeah, when I used to do this, in, uh, I would like to have a closed-cell uh, design uh, stent. In general, I would use uh, an enterprise stent. But, again, some have used uh, an atlas, and it works fine, too.
4: Great. Well, there are two iterations of this uh, web um, devices. There's one that's the SL, the single layer, and there's another one that's the SLS, the single layer spherical. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I personally don't have have not observed very many cases of the single layer spherical ones. I just wanted to ask you what your experience is with those types of web devices if you have used them.
1: Yeah, same with us. I've, I've used SLS in less than 10% of all um, uh, our web series. There are a few indications for SLS. It's mainly the shape of the aneurysm. And when the aneurysm is a really complete uh, complete circle where the SLS would go and really go and uh, take the shape and the form of the aneurysm. But in the majority, so in general, you tend to use SLS in cases where uh, the aneurysm is narrow neck. Uh, in general, in the majority, to get the advantage of the web, when you have wide neck aneurysm or when you have uh, bifurcating aneurysms and vessel coming off close to the neck, the SL is a is a better option.
4: Thank you, thank
0: you for that. Wow, yeah, that was actually a really wonderful discussion, a lot of insight into your experience. So I want to thank you. Um, unless there's anything else from the other participants. Um, well, I'd like to thank Dr. Jabor, Dr. Siddiqui, Doctors uh, So, Dr. Dusani. <clears throat> thank you for the wonderful Journal Club and this great discussion. And for all the listeners, if you would like to purchase a CME version of this podcast activity, please go to the education catalog at cns.org. Thank you again, and we'll see you next month. And this concludes our CNS podcast for July.
1: Thank you for having me.